We are on the home stretch here. We have two messages uh, left. And these messages are just uh, inspiring. They're not equipping, they're inspiring. Whereas the other messages we've looked at can be a little bit more hard hitting, uh, very convicting even. Uh, these ones are falling more along the lines of just wanting to inspire you to run your race. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the ESV version. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, well, here we are on the home stretch. We have gathered here today for many different reasons. But regardless, here we are. We realize that in a gathering this side, there are many issues, family issues. So our minds are prone to wander. Father, would you grab a hold of our wandering thoughts? Would you bring us back to a stable place so that we might be focused on what you would have us to learn? Yes, 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 and a million times yes, our answer is yes. Now tell us what you'd have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I teach evangelism and apologetics for a living. Evangelism is as popular as a root canal. Everybody knows as a Christian that you should be doing that. And then when somebody comes up and says, why aren't you doing that? Or you should be doing that more. Or how come you didn't have a better answer to that simple question? It's like we're already being beat up. But we need not be beat up. The title of this message here today is, It's Not About You. And I really appreciated that last song that we just sang because it's all about Him. It has nothing to do with you. God could have put the gospel in the clouds. He could have wrote it on the walls. He could have had the rocks cry out. But God, for whatever reason known only to him that's locked in the vault room of his heart, of his being, he has chosen people like you and I, fallible people, to proclaim an eternal message. The results belong to him. And if I was absolutely transparent with you, allow me to do so. My greatest fear is speaking in front of people. And I know that that seems a little bit odd or a little bit weird or even hyperbolic in nature, justified exaggeration, that you don't believe that because here I am. It is very, very difficult for me to do so. 
I've read several books on how to communicate. I've taken several classes in college on how to communicate, how to interact with people. I probably get eye contact with probably three or four of you, and that's it. The rest I'm kind of glossing over. I've, I've chosen the people who I want to look at. So if you know I'm looking at you, you know that I feel comfortable in looking at you. But I actually wear a special T-shirt. And I'm wearing one right now, this white T-shirt. It's called a Thompson T. You can Google it. I ordered four more. They're at my house waiting for me when I get home. What kind of a T-shirt are they? They have built-in diapers. They really do. Thompson T. So if you have a problem with sweating and being in front of people and communicating, that shirt is for you, Thompson T. And they are already soaking wet. And I just feel this uncomfortableness as I stand up here in front of you. But the Bible says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the very last job I would ever sign up for is this job right here. I remember when I was in high school, we had to give a public speech, and I was wearing a T-shirt. The sweat got so bad that it met in the middle. And it looked like one solid color, but it was a different solid color than it actually was because the entire shirt was soaking wet. And I said, I'll never public speak again. Yet here I am. See, what happens when God places you in situations and positions like this, you can never go like this. Look what I did. No, because it's not about you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I would much rather gargle turtle vomit then stand in front of people. I'd much rather lick the inner lining of a Tibetan yak's ulcerated small intestine than go in front of people. And that is just the truth of the matter. Every time I come up, I get cleaned out. Every time I go to open air preach, every time I go engage in one-on-one, every time somebody approaches me to engage in a conversation, I say to myself, I can do this with God's help. When I'm engaged in a conversation with people, I pray, God, place your spirit between me and this person. If you want to speak to me or if you want to speak to them, here am I. I'm in no hurry to leave. And this is why I say I'll be the last one to leave. Because I spoke at a church one time. And I had a family member that visited the church that heard me speak. And he was standing behind this line of people that wanted to talk to me after I was done. And he was saying, let's go, wrap it up, let's go. And there was a, a gentleman, a teenager that was standing there that was talking to me. And he wasn't talking to me about anything important, so it seemed in and of itself. And I remember praying, God, is there something you want to share with him? Is he beating around the bush? Is there something he needs to share with me? And I saw people begin to just get out of line. And I'm not going to tell the person, hurry up, there's a long line. No, the most important person I'm going to talk to is that person that's in front of me. I got nowhere I need to be. You are not an interruption of my day. You are my day. This is where I need to be. When Jesus entered in, is it Mark chapter 4 or John 4, with the woman at the well, it says that he needed to go through Samaria. 
to meet the woman at the well. He needed to go there because of that encounter. Well, this gentleman, when we were all done speaking, nothing important, so it seemed, he went and committed suicide. And I remember thinking to myself, God, you could have impressed something on my heart. You could have had me just plead with him. He could have said something. He could have told me what he was going through. But God, you chose not to do that. And I remember thinking, Lord, anywhere you want to send me, anybody you want me to talk to, there's nobody more important than the person in front of me. But it's not easy. It really is not easy. And that's not hyperbole, justified exaggeration. And by uh, way of story, allow me to share with you an encounter that I had with uh, one of my daughters, Ella. I wanted to take her to someplace a little bit nicer than where I normally take her. So I took her to Wendy's, right? A little daddy-daughter date. And as we're looking up at the dollar value menu items of the time, there were a bunch of college students that came inside that fine dining establishment that were dressed really nice. So I asked the question, I get it. I get it why you're here, but I don't understand why you're dressed so nice. Why are you guys dressed in all business attire? And they said, we are part of an epidactic debate team. We just came from a mock trial. We're all budding lawyers, promising lawyers. And we came from this mock trial. And now we're celebrating. And I said, oh, well, you came from the debate. Who, who won the debate? And he said, well, we did. And then as if he was gazing into my soul, he said, we will debate anybody on any subject at any time and in any place. Not having a clue what I do for a living, I looked over at him and I said, really? Good luck with that. And I walked away. And as we sat down and we're dipping our fries in our frosty, one of them had blasphemed really loud. And Ella, with eyes as big as saucers, she said, Daddy, you have to go share the gospel with them. I said, Peanut, you best just shut your mouth. And then somebody blasphemed again really loud. And she said, Daddy, you at least have to go give them gospel tracts. I said, honey, I don't think I have enough for everybody. She said, I do in the car. I said, of course you do, my little homeschooled princess. So we made our way out to the car. It was raining. And I said, honey, you know how nervous daddy gets when he's in front of people. Let's pray. Six years old at the time. I said, let's pray. And she says, Daddy, there's a time to pray and there's a time to move. So I grounded her. We grabbed the tracks. We went on inside, went over to where the students were at, 20, 30 students. I don't remember exactly how many. And I said, hey, listen, um, my little girl, Ella, right, right? Whoa, where did she go? And there she was under the table with her knees knocking. And she said something to me that I've said to her many times over the course of her life, which is, Daddy, you can do it with God's help. So I said, listen, my little girl Ella wants to make sure you each get one of these. It's a Christian gospel track. It tells you how you can avoid hell, 
come into a relationship with your maker and go to heaven. You don't have to take it, but I do have enough for everybody if you'd like to have one. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where something comes out of here, but you know it did not originate up here. And I said, would you like to have a debate? And I went, no. And it was like everybody's ears perked up. I said, a debate? You want to have a debate? Yes. What would you like to debate? And I said, well, who's the head of your debate team? And they pointed over to this woman. Her name was Dakota, and she levitated. She came down in the midst, and there she was. And she said, I'm the head of the debate team. What would you like to debate? And I said, well, I'm a Christian, and I believe that Christianity is intelligent. She's all, you want to debate Christianity? What area? And here I start laying off some different levels of Christianity. We can debate whether Jesus rose from the dead, whether the Bible is true, whether Jesus is the only way to the Father. And you know what she said? As an atheist, a card-carrying atheist, meaning she was proud to be an atheist, she said, pick an angle. I'm ready. Are you ready? Right? Because that caught me off guard that she is ready to talk about my religion in any nuanced area that I was ready to talk about. So I said, let's talk about whether Christianity is true. She's all great. Tell you what, how about you go first? So I see the angle that you want to take, and then I will go, and then you bring a rebuttal, then I'll bring a rebuttal. You give closing statements, and then I'll give a closing statement. And I went, wow, you have done this before. So I went first, and then she went. And then I gave her a rebuttal, and she gave her a rebuttal. I gave a closing statement, and then it was time for her closing statement. And you know what she said? Nothing. Rimless zero. Nothing. She didn't say anything. Her mouth was shut. She just walked away. And I'm reminded of the words of Greg Bonson. He said, it is not our job to open people's hearts. It's our job to close their mouths as we speak the truth in love. We allow the law and the gospel to do its work. And the results belong to God. She left, and everybody with her left. Nobody asked to follow me on Twitter. Nobody's following me on Instagram. Nobody asked for my website. I didn't have a podcast at the time, but nobody would have asked for that either. They all left except for one person, one person, he looked over at me and he said, are you kidding me? That was awesome. He goes, listen, man, I watch you on the regular and to see you do this in person, man, that was a treat. I was not expecting that. I said, you're a Christian? And he goes, yeah. I said, where were you 35 minutes ago, bro? And he said, man, I had your back. And I said, yeah, like way, way back. But then he said this, Mark, listen, God was glorified here this evening. Pause. Yeah, God was glorified. And I think we often confuse two words, fruitfulness and faithfulness. God is not calling you to be fruitful. He's calling you to be faithful. 
How many people did you lead to the Lord? All of them. I, I brought them over to Jesus, and what he did with them at that point is up to him. Did they get saved? God knows. How was that conversation with your child? Perfect. An imperfect person talking to an imperfect person about eternal things, God can massage it through and work it out. He can handle that situation, that conversation, even though I stumble over my words. He's not calling us to be fruitful because fruit belongs to him so that you don't pat yourself on the back because the results belong to God. He's the alpha. He's the omega. One person plants, one person waters, but never forget, God gets the increase. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, he said, all of God's giants, people that we really look up to, all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they simply believed that God would be with them. One with God will always be in the majority. It doesn't matter who is against you if God is for you. And if God is against you, it doesn't matter who is for you. Step out of the boat onto the crashing sea. Mock the storm. They that know their God shall do exploits, Daniel said. And there's been many times where I've kind of stepped out of the boat to try to see if something will happen. I remember being in Munich, Germany. I just got off a train, and there was a concert happening right there. And I go, I look over at Ray Comfort, and I said, I'm going to go preach the gospel on top of that stage. He goes, let's go. And I grabbed some tracks, and I started making my way up there. And I've learned from my BC days of sneaking into Laker basketball games that if you walk with authority, you don't get stopped. So that's what I did. I walked with authority. I got past security, security, security. I got all the way up to the steps. And as I'm walking up, ready to grab a mic on a mic stands that were all right there, I got stopped by security, and I wasn't able to make it up, but I gave a gospel tract to that guy, and I went, God doesn't want me to preach to the people. Maybe they don't understand English. I don't know. But I stepped out of the boat, and I was willing, and I was scared to death, and I thank God that didn't happen. But I was ready, and I was willing, and I've had many opportunities to, to do things. I remember I had a rental car. And there was this little button called OnStar. Do you remember? I don't know if they still even do that. OnStar, where you push the button. And this voice out of heaven, uh, do you need directions? And I say, uh, yeah, do you know how to get to heaven? And she goes, uh, excuse me? I go, yeah, do you know how to get to heaven? She's all, what do you mean? I go, well, listen, I'm on my way to go speak at a conference. And I just thought to myself, I wonder what this little button does. And I didn't even know that somebody would come on the over the phone here. I don't even know what's happening. And I had a chance to then share the gospel with her. And she responded with, this is the most amazing conversation I've ever had. God orchestrated me to get that car with that operator at that. I'm actually getting rid of the bugs by doing this. <laughs> See, I've learned to communicate Kung Fu, right? But I would not have had that conversation if I didn't just kind of step out of the boat and push the button. 
Sometimes God has to push your buttons to get you to step out of the boat. And you may feel like you're at the end of your rope, where you feel like, man, everything's against me. I'm on my back. I have no reason to keep going. Somebody once said, God sometimes puts us on our back so that we look up. And we'll only look up if we are on our backs. How great is God to put us on our back during difficult situations? First Corinthians one twenty seven says that God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and he has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I love when Jesus said in Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you to become a fisher of men. Notice it doesn't say that God is looking for fishers of men, skilled assets. No, he's looking to turn you into what you're not. Because the best ability is availability. When you make yourself available to God, what can God do? The world is yet to see. Henry Valerie, he once said, the world is yet to see what God will do to and through and with and by the person who consecrates himself to his making. D.L. Moody, he was in a hotel at the time as a shoe salesman, and he heard those words, God, the world is yet to see what God will do to and through and with and by the person who consecrates himself to God. I call heaven and hell as witnesses to be that person by God's grace. When I fail, I will grab a hold of God's grace and I will learn from God's grace and it will teach me to live sober and righteous in this present age because this life is not mine. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth in order that he might strongly support the person whose heart is literally leaning in his direction. That's it. It's leaning his way. God, you know what I have to give you? Nothing. I can lean in your way. That's it. Or as A.W. Tozer said, I want to worship you, but that's all I've got because I don't know how to worship you. So. I give you what I got, a desire to worship you. And that's enough. It's enough sometimes. Make yourself available to God, and God makes himself available to you. Back to our text, because this is absolutely wonderful text, if you have difficulty in stepping out of the boat. We're thinking that it has something to do with you. Here's the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And he says, when he came to the people proclaiming the gospel, he said, I did not come to you with lofty speech or man-made human wisdom. When I was with you, verse 3, I had weakness, I had fear, and I had much trembling. Look at Paul's qualifications. You think you're a little bit better than that? I certainly am not. The Apostle Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament, says, I, I had nothing to give you. Like, I'm nervous to approach you. I have to bring a conviction, a convicting word towards you because you don't want to walk with God. You guys are doing some crazy things in your church, Corinth. But it's not about me. It's about Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I think so many times 
we hide behind our weaknesses and our handicaps. We think it's as if it has something to do with us. Thirteen of the fourteen judges found in the book of Judges all had a physical handicap. They all had a legitimate excuse why they weren't the person for the job. This is more than I can handle, God. You're right. Because I'm not asking you to do it. Because I don't want you to pat yourself on the back. I don't share my glory with anyone. I don't know how to give give this sin up. You're right. I'm asking you to turn to me, and I will create in you a new creation, a new creature. You need to come clean. And perhaps as a believer, if you feel like you're stuck in this rut, then you may be at a place where you need accountability. You just need to come clean with other people. That you confess your sins one to another, and there's a healing. We live in a cocoon of fantasy, and we don't want anyone to disturb our white picket fence life. As if we are the ones in control, and we lay out our day, and we say, God, bless my plans. I don't care about yours. We don't get to choose what is true. We only get to choose what we do about it. I remember I was uh, ministering in Kauai, right? Somebody's got to do it. So I was in Kauai. I was with my wife and some friends. I spoke at a uh, Calvary Chapel of Kauai out there. And I remember I was in a canoe with my wife. And our guide, who was leading us to these different waterfalls and beautiful places, my wife tells me I have to share the gospel with the guy, right? And it's not the fact that I'm ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel at all. And if you can feel the sweat just like soaking up inside my shirt, you don't want to feel that. It's kind of weird if you did that. But she says, you've got to share the gospel with this guy. And we get over to these uh, this little hiking area, and I shared the gospel with the guy. And then I asked him, have you ever heard this message before? And he said, up until last week, I would have said, no. But last week, there was a, a gentleman and his wife, some Christian singer named Jeremy Camp, who shared this message with me. And I go, really? Next week, I'm going to be preaching the gospel at a concert where Jeremy Camp is going to be performing. Here's the picture. I live in Southern California. I'm sharing a gospel with a guy in Kauai. The following week, I'm going to be in Ohio, but Jeremy Camp lives in Nashville. A divine convergence that brings us together so that I might water a work that he planted, that he started. Increase, not by the time I left, as far as I know, but fast forward one week, over to the concert in Ohio. I go up to Jeremy Camp backstage, and I said, hey, bro, um, two weeks ago, you were in Kauai, and you had a guide, and he led you to these waterfalls on these rocks, and you ate this turkey sandwich. And he goes, Whoa! And I said, hey, man, just relax. Listen, last week I was in Kauai, and I had the same guide that you had. He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, man. And I go, listen, 
what God does to orchestrate a divine meeting is out of this world, and we both rejoice. And I have a friend that goes to my church, and he said he went to a Jeremy Camp concert, and he heard Jeremy Camp tell the story about how I was able to share the same time he was able to share, but one week later, trying to encourage the people to step out of the boat. It's not about a white picket fence life, and if God has given you a white picket fence, that's great. If you have a beautiful home, that's wonderful. If all your kids are doing wonderful, great. Praise God. But you have not been designed for time, but for eternity. You can pray bigger. God can handle it. He can handle you praying bigger. Don't be afraid to pray big. They that know their God shall do great exploits. David Brainerd, uh, anybody read David Brainerd's journal? Okay, you got to read David Brainerd's journal. The introduction is difficult because it's by Jonathan Edwards, who is a very heady theologian. But the, the journal itself is not difficult at all because he had no intention of publishing his journal, his autobiography. He wanted to become a pastor. In order to be a pastor at that time, you had to graduate from an Ivy League school. Well, Jonathan Edwards came and visited him and the whole school, and he gave a chapel lecture. And he was talking about how there's no life inside Yale. Well, David Brainerd took that to heart. And he started talking against, and he started talking against the people that are in charge, that there's no spirit inside of them. And was surprised if they're even born again. So much so that they sent out a letter saying, if you speak out against the professors and those in charge, you'll be kicked out of the school. Well, David Brainerd, without fear, he spoke out and he said, there's more spirit in this chair than there is in the rector, the one in charge. The rector heard that. He got kicked out. Jonathan Edwards felt responsible for that. And he took him underneath his wing and he gave him a place to live. Well, David Brainerd, he went and he ministered to this Indian group of people. And he says, I don't love these people. I'm going to be honest with you. I hear them speak and it makes my, ble my ears bleed but you care about these people, God, and that's enough for me. And he would go and he would share with them, and he got sick. He died at 29 years old from tuberculosis. But the night that he died, he grabbed a hold of his journal, and he went to throw it inside the fire. And when he went to throw it inside the fire, Jonathan Edwards said, whoa, wait a minute. And he took it, and he published it. And Hudson Taylor read it, went out onto the mission field with his journal and the Bible. That's it. And so many missionaries have done the same. But this is what David Brainerd said. We lead to this. Lord, help me not to loiter on my way to heaven. Help me not to waste time on my way to heaven. Help me not to meander in this maze of mediocrity or ponder in the pool of popularity. Help me, Father, to be fixed to have my gaze set upon you. We cannot waste time because there's no time to waste. You know, when God told Moses to go before Pharaoh, Moses was filled with excuse after excuse. 
Who am I that I should go, Lord? Is what he says in Exodus 3.11. And then he says in Exodus 3.13, when I go, they say, who is sending you? Who do I say? And this is where God says, I am who I am. And then in Exodus 4.1, he says, they're not going to listen to me. Remember, that's none of your business, right? In Exodus 3.8, he says, I've come down to deliver them. That's what Moses should be remembering, those words. And then in Exodus 4.10, he says, I'm not an eloquent man. I don't have eloquent speech. <coughs> and then finally, in Exodus 4.13, Moses refuses to go. And he says, oh, my Lord, send, please, by your hand, whoever else you want to send. So who did he send? Aaron. You see, God is going to accomplish his will. But he allows you to come along for the ride. Let me tell you, it's an adventurous ride. It's like the elephant and the mouse crossing this rickety bridge. With every step they took, the bridge is rocking back and forth. They get to the other side. The mouse looks up at the elephant and says, we really rocked that bridge together, didn't we? Gang, you're just along for the ride. Enjoy it. Well, what if there's valleys? Yeah. But I've read the last chapter. It ends with a plateau. It may be difficult. It may be hard. Absolutely. That hard, that difficulty makes it great. Allow God to be in charge. Remember, God specializes in using people that the world rejects. And I'm not going to go for much longer. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Abraham thought he was too old. Timothy thought he was too young. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was not very attractive. Joseph was abused. Moses said he couldn't speak well. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a long-haired womanizer. David was an adulterer and a prideful individual and ultimately a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Isaiah taught without clothes on. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt and lost everything. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. All the disciples fell asleep when they should have been praying. Martha was worried about many things. Mary Magdalene at one point was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced several times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. What is your excuse? Excuses are like armpits. We all have a couple, but they all stink. You cannot impress people with Jesus when you're still trying to impress them with yourself. There is no such thing as a cool Christian. You need to get over yourself. God already has. And the reason I know that God is not through with you, no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened to you, listen, it's because you are still alive. It's not rocket science. When God is done with you, you'll know it. Until then, you have not exhausted the grace of God. You have not sinned one too many times. So 
Solomon asked for wisdom. God rewarded him. What if you would have said, God, I think I need wisdom. But what I'm going to really ask is for you to choose what you want to do inside my life. What do you want? There's a story, and I know I'm running a little bit long. Two minutes? Three minutes? One minute? One hour. Okay. I'm kidding. Um, there was a blind man in the gospel. The time of Pentecost had taken place, so there's about three times the amount of people. And there's throngs and throngs of people, and here's Jesus going through. And he hears this word, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and he says, you know, who is that? And the apostles say, hey, be quiet, hush down. And he goes, oh, oh, yeah, okay. And he says it all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Because he was at a place of desperation. If God, if you do not meet with me right now, then I might as well be dead. And the disciples said, hey, be quiet. You're burdening the rabbi. He goes, okay. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what is Jesus' response? Does Jesus go to him? No. Jesus says, tell him to come to me. He's blind. How is he going to find you? The throngs of people. Think about this, because this is so important. The guy grabs a hold of his outer tunic, and he gets rid of it. That's important to know, because the outer tunic was used as a sleeping bag. He was discarding all that he had precious to him, because how is he going to find it? How is he going to go back to it? Have him come to me. Jesus, what are you going to play, the hot-cold game? I'm over here, warmer, colder, colder. Desperation. Jesus, I'm coming, I'm coming. Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming to you. And then what does Jesus say to him? Your faith has made you well. I love it. There's a place where desperation meets reality. You don't speak if you don't draw near. If you, God, then I might as well be dead. But I'm not going back to Egypt. It had nothing for me. Where am I going to go? You alone hold the words to eternal life. I'm telling you, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And I don't care what you've done. You come to him on his terms, he will clean you up. He will give you a future that you know not of. You got to come to him on his terms. You got to humble yourself. God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for these, these people and the work that you're doing. And Father, I'm here. I'm here to answer questions. I don't have all the answers. 
I'm here nervous. And what seems to be a pickle and a predicament for me is a God-ordained work for you. I pray that the people here would live outside the boat. And maybe, perhaps for the first time, they would say, God, here am I, send me. And no longer say, here am I, send him. Because it's not about us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.